not in concrete. They were just sitting on the top of the soil. We carried a fridge down that staircase, and we were a little bit nervous afterwards when we saw that. We were like, Lord, thank you for protecting us uh, and carrying that down the, the stairs. But we took it out, and when we built a deck on the front of the house, we dug deep into the ground, right? You got to get below the frost line, you got to pour concrete, and you got to have this whole thing set up securely. It's easy to build something on top of the surface. However, over time, it's going to be exposed to not having any roots. And over time, it's going to fall apart. You have to go deep to build something strong. That's true for decks and foundations, but it's also true for relationships. And in particular, our relationship with God. Depth creates intimacy with God. Now... This is a problem for the nation of Israel often when it comes to their relationship with God. And not just for the nation of Israel, but for us as well. In the story we're going to look at this morning from Exodus 33 and 34, parts of both of those chapters, we're coming right off of this spot in the book of Exodus called the Golden Calf. Anyone familiar with this story? Israel had been in, uh, enslaved in Egypt. God had finally delivered them. They waited 400 years for deliverance. But God finally delivers them, and he delivers them in incredible power, showcasing that the gods of Egypt are no gods at all. He delivers them out of Egypt. They go through the wilderness. God provides for them bread from heaven. They have to wake up in the morning, and it's just there. He provides water for them from a rock. They don't have water, and so Moses hits this rock and water flows out. They have everything they need. And then they make it to Mount Sinai. And Moses goes up on the mountain to meet with God, to get the Ten Commandments, to meet with God. And Moses is gone for 40 days. And Israel loses their mind. They waited 400 years, and he's gone 40 days, and they're like, hey, I don't know what happened to this Moses dude. Let's make some idols. Now, the story, they can still see that the mountain is covered with smoke and fire. So they know exactly where Moses is. They know exactly where God is, and yet they still think, hey, we need something else. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds a little bit familiar to my life. I know exactly where God is, I know exactly what he's doing, and yet I still think I know best, and I need something else. So in the midst of this, Moses is meeting with God, and God says, Moses, get back down there. It's not going well. And Moses intercedes for them, and God relents from his anger and does not wipe them out, which he justly could and should have done. But he doesn't. But this has ripped the intimacy that Israel has with God. Their intimacy is ripped away. So let's look here at Exodus 33, if you guys want to pull up that scripture for us. At the beginning of Exodus 33, starting in 1 through 6. The Lord said to Moses, get going. 
You and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt. Now, you and the people you brought up. God has always said, you and the people I brought up. But now it's you and the people you brought up, Moses. Go up to the land I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I told them I will give this land to your descendants. And I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to this land that flows with milk and honey. But I will not travel among you. For you are a stubborn and rebellious people. If I did, I would surely destroy you along the way. When the people heard these stern words, they went into mourning and stopped wearing their jewelry and fine clothes. For the Lord had told Moses to tell them, you are a stubborn and rebellious people. If I were to travel with you for even a moment, I would destroy you. Remove your jewelry and fine clothes while I decide what to do with you. So from the time they left Mount Sinai, the Israelites wore no more jewelry or fine clothes. Israel is in a place in which their intimacy has been ripped away. But notice a few things about this text. God says, go up to the land that I swore to you. I'm still going to remain faithful even though you have been unfaithful. And you're going to get the promise. You're going to get the promised land. Now, why does Israel begin to mourn? I mean, in light of what just happened with the golden calf, shouldn't they be rejoicing? God did not, he did not wipe us out. And he said we could still go into the land with milk and honey. He's still going to drive out the people that live there, and we still get to live in the land. We're going to get the blessing that he promised us. Why aren't they happy with that? And, and even more so, in a, the ancient Near East, one of the reasons why the Israelites made a golden calf in the first place is because in the ancient Near East, there was no such thing as an invisible God. Everybody had their gods, right? So all throughout the Old Testament, wherever it says, like, oh, you have no God, where is your God? It's foreign armies and leaders mocking Israel because they have no idol. God is invisible. So they get the land. God is invisible. Why aren't they happy to just go without God going with them? You see, Israel knows that the promise is not actually the land, but God himself. And God says, we, I'm not going with you. Well, what about you and I? What if right now God offered to give you everything you wanted in life, but said, I won't go with you? Now, it's, real, it's easy for all of us to be like, oh, no, I wouldn't do that. But what, think about it for a moment. Think about the things you actually want. The relationship that you've been longing for. The money that you've needed and wanted. The house that you want to have. Your dream house. Kids. Travel. Job that you want. Or, may, or maybe it's even bigger things. You need the respect and the prestige that you've always longed for. Or maybe it's actually even smaller things. I just want my kids to be okay 
to not run away from the Lord or end up in jail or anything like that. I want them to just make it. Or maybe it's kingdom stuff, church stuff. I just want things to go okay here. I want things to look good. I want us to be able to do what we're supposed to do. All the kingdom stuff. It might even look the same as if God is there or not. If Israel went forward without God and went into the promised land, they got the promised land, it, the people were driven out, and God didn't go with them, who is invisible, versus God going with them into the promised land and driving them out. What's the difference? It might look the same. You see, sometimes the things that we want can look the same with or without God. Right? Just like that staircase. It looked the same from the outside as the deck I built, but trust me, that deck is probably holding up the house. It is buried deep with lots of concrete. Just to make sure the house doesn't fall. But sometimes the reason we're afraid to press in with intimacy with God is because we know we're a stubborn and rebellious people. We know that God is holy. I mean, he showed up on the mountain in fire and smoke. He's holy. We know that we deserve to be wiped out because we are a stubborn and rebellious people. And so how do we go into him to get, to get intimacy? How do we go near him? So what we're content to do is get the blessings we can from God without longing for the intimacy that we need. It seems too hard. To get intimacy, you've got to dig deep. I'm going to have to actually unpack what's in my heart. My past hurt and trauma that prevents me from trusting people and God. My past sin. My present sin. I'm going to have to actually unpack that. I'm going to have to step into those things. I'm going to have to find some level of depth, and then I'm going to have to confront it and repent. What if, for us, we are like Israel, and in the face of choosing between the blessings of God and intimacy with God, we say, no, we want the intimacy with God. We don't want to be content with just the trappings of Christianity but the experience of intimacy. And so we hunger for it. How can we find it? Well, Exodus goes on here to remember. So intimacy was ripped away, and now intimacy is remembered. So it's kind of a weird interruption in the text, but it moves into this section, Exodus 33, starting in verse 7. It was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting and set it up some distance from the camp. Now, this tent of meeting is not the same as the tabernacle, which God had just given Moses instructions of. This is prior to God giving instructions for the tabernacle. As Israel leaves Egypt, wherever they're traveling, they set up this tent for Moses to go meet with God. This tent of meeting. Everyone who wanted to make a request of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrances of their own tents. 
they would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. And as he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. This is just this preview of how how it is that Moses is going to hand off leadership to Joshua because Joshua spent his time meeting with God. Spent his time meeting with God face to face. Now, what does it mean that Moses met with God face to face? There's places throughout the Old Testament where God shows up, invisible God shows up in physical form. And it's a thing we call, a th- we call it a theophany or a Christophany even. It's the person of Jesus jumping into time, pre-incarnate Christ showing up. Now, we're not sure that that's exactly what's going on here, right? Because the pillar of cloud comes down. This is more likely an idiom of like a, a, a saying of what it means to have intimacy. How do you have intimacy? Face-to-face conversation, right? That's why this pandemic has been so hard, right? We can't talk face-to-face. We were unable for a long time for safety reasons to be together, but we are meant to be embodied creatures. We are not made to have disembodied relationship. And Moses meets with God face to face. God knows this, and there is a communicated intimacy here. They're all worshiping. Everyone's worshiping. All of Israel is worshiping God. They're experiencing intimacy. But Moses is getting something even more. Moses is sitting with God, having depth and intimacy. It's like a friendship that you have, where you can actually just sit in silence together and you don't have to entertain one another. You know what that's like? Like when you get to that place where you're riding in the car with someone and you can just sit there. You don't have to talk. You don't have to fill the space. Sit on the couch and just chill. You don't have to worry about entertaining someone because you know them so well and they know you so well. You have intimacy, depth, knowing what another person is going to say before they say it because you know them so well. Knowing someone's heart and having your own heart known by another person. These are going to these deep places, both good and bad. Do you remember a time when you've had that kind of intimacy with God? Where you've had this level of depth with God, and it happened. You know it happened. I met with God. He was there with me. Maybe it was in a sermon or in a time of worship or in your, uh, your own personal Bible study. You're reading the word. You're praying. And you feel God's presence intimately. And you know, no matter what anyone else says, this invisible God is real. And I've seen him work. I've seen him act. And I have known him intimately. This interruption in the text, I think, fits here because Israel needs to remember the intimacy they had before their sin. 
They need to remember what it was like for Moses to meet face to face with God. So that they would remember those things and ask for it. They need to hunger again for intimacy. You see, we live our lives because we're embodied creatures always hungering for something. Maybe it's right now and your stomach is hungering for a little bit of food, right? Like, hurry it up, hurry it up. We want to go eat some lunch. But isn't it true that all of the ways in which we end up sinning against what God has commanded in his word, it's because we were hungry for something, right? Like, if we look back on it, it's like, well, I made that decision because I'm hungering for something. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's power. Maybe it's prestige. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's relationship. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's something else. But we're hungering for some level of intimacy. At the base of it, what we want is to be fully known and to know others. What this text is telling Israel to do is to say, remember that intimacy and direct it. Remember that hungering for intimacy and direct it to the Lord. Because what happens in life is you get apathetic towards intimacy with God. Well, because like we can make it to the land on our own. We could get the blessings and the trappings of Christianity. I can stand up here and preach God's word to you without hungering for intimacy. I can fake that. That's possible, right? And we can be content with it. And so what Moses is doing for them in writing this section in Exodus is to say, remember Israel. It's a habit of Israel to remember. We're not very good at remembering. We need to make sure we continue to build habits in our lives of remembering what God has done. Because we're really quick to look at the individual moment we're in and to say, God, where are you? Well, remember where you've been. Remember the places in which God has already met with you and delivered you. Where you have experienced intimacy with him. You need to remember these things. Well, in the midst of this, intimacy was ripped away. Intimacy was remembered. And now intimacy is restored. Sort of. Sort of. Let's read on. Exodus 33, starting in 12. This is a lengthier section, but we'll take some pauses kind of throughout this as we read together. So one day... Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, take these people to up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You have told me, I know you by name and I look favorably on you. If it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so I may understand you and more fully, uh, you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor and remember that this nation is your very own people. You see, intimacy with God does not always mean agreeing with God about the circumstances you find yourself in. It's not just a simply, hey, I want intimacy with God, therefore I'm going to set aside the difficulties of my life so that I can experience God and I can't bring that stuff with me. This notion that mature Christians can't struggle 
under the weight of our circumstances is not true. Suffering with joy in the Lord doesn't mean smiling and telling God, I love the suffering. Being honest with God is intimacy with God. And, and catch this. It's not just honest with God about my suffering because of my righteousness. They're suffering because of their sin. They're suffering because of disobedience that they committed. And they still are able to say, I don't like these circumstances. And Moses is bold. You say, God, that you know me. You say that, but if that's true, are you going to show it? Let's read on. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, uh, on me and on your people if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked for. I will look favorably upon you and I will know you by name. The boldness of Moses. The boldness of Moses to say, God, we, what are you going to do? Who are you going to send with us? And God says, I will personally go with you. What does Moses say immediately after that? If you don't personally go, he just said he's going to go personally go with you. But Moses, because he's known God face to face, is bold. He is bold with God and says, I am going to ask again. I'm going to say this thing again. Because it's consistent with your promises, God, and directed to you personally. This is not a sort of naming something so that you can claim it, right? Not that. It's not just saying, I want this, therefore I'm going to say it. Will you do it? No, he's asking God. He's directing it to God, and he is bold with it. Do you have that kind of boldness with God? That kind of boldness like Moses has? To ask for intimacy with God, even after your sin, even after he's already said, no, I'm going to go with you. But wait a minute. No, God, will you really go with me? Boldness like Jacob wrestling with God. Holding on to him until, nope, you, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And Moses here is in the same way holding on to God and saying, we are not leaving this mountain unless you go with us. Because you are what we need. So maybe you are struggling to know God. Struggling to know his promises, to walk in faith, to connect with the Lord. Maybe you're in a dry season in which it feels like my joy is sucked away and I don't know how to meet with God. Have you said this to God? God, you know me. You are true and real and the only true and real thing in the universe. Show me your presence. 
If that's real, if that's really who you are, will you show it to me? Sometimes we don't ask that because we don't have faith that he'll actually show up. We're afraid to ask for intimacy with God, and so we're content to stay in the place that we are, going, with, going on in the world, trying to live our Christian life without God coming along with us. So what does Moses do? He goes on. He has been so bold. Like, Moses, don't try it. Like, don't go further, man. Like, you know, parents... You've had this experience where your kids ask something and you say yes, and then they ask again. And you're like, wait, 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 don't try that. But Moses here says, then show me your glorious presence. Verse 18, show me your glorious presence. The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name Yahweh before you. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. The Lord continued, look, stand near me on this rock. As my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and let you see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. Here's the thing. They're going to, Moses is asking, show me your presence, God. And God says, okay, I will show you my presence, but this is how it has to go. I don't think you understand, Moses. I know we've talked face to face, but I don't think you understand how glorious I am. So I'm going to hide you in the mountain. Now, God is not, this is language that the scriptures use all the time to help us understand. Because we don't understand what an invisible God is like. So it's not like God shows up with this giant hand, right? What he's saying is, it's like this happens, right? So God doesn't have a big hand, right? The point of this is to say, Moses, you're tiny, and I am huge. I am big. How will you understand who I am? Well, you can't see my face. I'm going to hide you, and I'm going to hide you in the rock, and as I pass by you, I'll lift my hand, and you can look at my backside. You can look at my backside. We're going to see what it does to Moses and how amazing this thing is that Moses experiences. But what uh, God goes on here in, uh, what do I have up next here? Where am I at? Uh, You're going to bring up that next passage where are we at there we go then the lord told moses starting in 12 uh then the lord told moses chisel out two stone tablets like the first two i will write on them the same words that were on the tablets you smashed be ready in the morning to climb up to mount sinai and present yourself to me on the top of the mountain no one else may come with you in fact no one is to appear anywhere on the mountain do not even let the flocks or herds graze near the mountain so moses chiseled out two stone tablets Like the first ones, early in the morning he climbed Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, and he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, 
The Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents on their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. Moses immediately threw himself to the ground and worshipped. And he said, O oh Lord, if it is true that I have found favor with you, then please travel with us. Yes, this is a stubborn and rebellious people. But please forgive our iniquity and our sins. Claim us as your own special possession. Then the Lord replied, listen, I am making a covenant with you in the presence of your people. I will perform miracles that have never been performed anywhere in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people around you will see the power of the Lord, the awesome power I will display for you. But listen carefully to everything I command you today. Then I will go ahead of you and drive out the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. God is amazing. God reveals himself. And what we learn about God is that he is personal. He has a name. He reveals his name to Moses. Call me Yahweh. I am who I am. We find out that God is glorious. Far more glorious than we can imagine. Because we see, Moses sees his glory. Sees as he passes by. And Moses is so undone, he falls to his face. Because God is glorious. But here's the crazy thing. Here's what we would expect. When I think of glory... I think of power. Moses is saying, show me your glorious presence. And what is God going to do? Is he going to blow up the mountain? Is he going to showcase, hey, wait a second, you guys, you think you know what you're doing, but you don't know how to mess with me, so I'm going to burn some of the edges of the camp. I'm going to bring down some fire and some lightning. That's not what happens. He says, my name is Yahweh. I am the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to get angry. At the height of God's glorious presence, as he's going to reveal himself, what does he say about himself? I love you. I'm merciful. And Moses agrees with God, yes, you're right, we're stubborn and rebellious. But you are merciful and forgiving you are faithful and good. You are faithful to us. What does he say? He's not going to excuse the guilty. He's not covering up sin. He's not like, hey, it doesn't matter. I don't care that much about sin. No, we'll see eventually how much he cares about sin in the person of Jesus on the cross. But look at the difference here. Lay the sins of the parents on their children and grandchildren, right? Generational sin is a thing. And yet, what does he say about lavishing unfailing love to a thousand generations? I am slow to anger. I'm abounding in steadfast love and forgiveness. And so I'm going to make this covenant with your people, with my people. I'm going to make this promise that I will be with you. I will be your God and you will be my people. Well, what's the effect of this intimacy on Moses? Skipping ahead a little bit to Exodus 34, starting in verse 29. 
says this, When Moses came down Mount Sinai carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't as aware that his face had become so radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face. They were afraid to come near him. He had met with God, and he is so radiant in his face from seeing God's backside that they're afraid to come near him. He's glowing. Moses is clean. He looks good. He is radiant. They are afraid to come near him. But Moses called out to them and asked Aaron and all the leaders of the community to come over, and he talked with them. Then all the people of Israel approached him, and Moses gave them all the instructions the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking with them, he covered his face with a veil. But whenever he went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he would remove the veil until he came out again. Then he would give the people whatever instructions the Lord had given him, and the people of Israel would see the radiant glow of his face. So he would put the veil over his face until he returned to speak with the Lord. Moses is glowing. He's glowing from his intimacy with God, so much so that he has to veil his face. We are always trying to flex. We're always trying to show off just a little bit, right? Either physically or spiritually or materially. What if we just spent time deeply with God and let the rest shake out? Like what if the flex that we had in the world was deep intimacy with God and people were like, there's something weird about that person. Why are they so peaceful in the midst of hard circumstances? Why are they so joyful in the midst of really tough stuff? Why are they so kind to people who hate them? Because they spend deep intimacy with God. Because we will glow in our lives in this world. What, what does Jesus say? We're going to shine like lights. How? Intimacy with God. The only way we can is by intimacy with God. Now, here's the thing. You might be thinking, yes, that sounds great, but that's easy for Moses to say because he got to walk into the tent and meet with God face to face. Right? Have you ever thought, maybe it would be easier to have been in Israel and like they had this tent and, and after this, they're going to leave. They finally leave Mount Sinai and they have the tabernacle and the pillar of cloud hovers over it. And when they're supposed to leave, the pillar of cloud comes up and goes away, and they follow it. Doesn't it sound like, man, that'd be so much easier if my life was like that? If I could just walk around and God would show me exactly where to go and do exactly what I, he tells me to do. And if there was a place that I could just go, and in there God would meet with me face to face. Sounds awesome. Well, let's not jump so fast. Because the arguments of the scriptures is that we, in the new covenant, have more, not less. Sometimes I think we think, okay, well, if we're not going to be with Israel, then it would have been better just to be one of the disciples. Walk around with Jesus. Talk about seeing God face to face. Well, when Jesus is with his disciples, what does he tell them in the upper room? He says, it's better if I leave. So that you get the Holy Spirit. Yes. It's better that I leave. 
You see, what Israel had was the presence of God dwelling in the tabernacle above them, with them in that way. And what the people, the disciples had was the presence of God dwelling in the person of Jesus right next to them. And what you and I have is the presence of God dwelling in us. In us. How much closer can God be? Where is he? Where is his presence? It's right here. It's right here. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says this, starting in verse 7. The old way with laws etched in stone led to death. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. Paul's writing about the very thing we just read. For his face shone with all the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way, now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way which brings condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new, which remains forever? Since this, new confidence, since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses. Wait, he, we can be very bold? Wasn't Moses very bold? But we can be, we're not like Moses, who put a veil over his face. So that the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds, so they cannot understand the truth. It's why, in the world today, when you speak of the morality of Jesus, which is wisdom and makes so much sense, and is the way in which we were designed to work, it's like a manual God who created us gave us a way to live, to thrive. And it's why the world looks at that and says, that's foolish. Because their hearts are hardened. This veil can only be removed by believing in Christ. Yet, yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. This is what we get in the gospel. If you are here today or watching online, and you have trusted in Jesus. You have turned to Jesus. You have said, I am a stubborn and rebellious person. Lord, forgive me. And you have turned to Jesus. This veil has been removed so that you can see God in his word. So that you can experience intimacy with Jesus now and forevermore. You get the very presence of God in you by the Holy Spirit. That means you cannot be content to try to get the blessings of Christianity without the presence of God, the intimacy with God. Christianity is not about looking good and moral, having a nice family, good job, good relationships. 
And get this, even, we can't just even be content with the spiritual blessings we get in the gospel, like forgiveness of sins and justification and promise of eternal life without getting the intimacy with God. That's the blessing. That's it. Forgiveness of sins is so that you can be in God's presence. That's not the end of the story. There's something more. Forgiveness of sins is amazing. Jesus' love for us, his blood on the cross, which buys our place with God, is amazing. But it's for a purpose, that you would enter into God's presence and know him and be known by him. You see, the land was not the issue for Israel. It was seeing the glory of God. That was the blessing. See, for us, loving neighbor isn't even the point. The only way we're going to do that effectively is if we are seeing the glory of God. What does Paul say? He says, you now see and reflect the glory of God. Now, it doesn't happen overnight. What does he say? One degree of glory to the next. You're being transformed one little bit at a time. One little bit at a time. You know what that means? That means when you are frustrated with something in your life, like I am just not patient. I can't be patient. I try, and it just, it just riles up in me. My anger riles up, and I can't be patient. The answer is not to say, you fool, be more patient. The answer is to say, Jesus, forgive me, and let me just behold your patience with me. Let me just look at it. Let me just worship you, Jesus, for how patient you are with me. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to be transformed to reflect that patience to others. The way in which we are transformed is not by moral advancement, but by worship of Jesus. That's the way we're transformed. That's where Israel misses it all the time. Why they made a golden calf, why they disobey in other places is because they're not hungering for the intimacy with God. And when you and I run away from the Lord and sin against his commandments, it's because we're not worshiping Jesus. The answer is not to heap guilt and shame upon us, but to worship Jesus. That's the answer, because that's the blessing. We are to behold him. And be transformed by him. So what do I do if I believe that? Trusting in him. But I don't feel like it. I just don't feel it. Paul said, be very bold. Not like Moses bold. More bold than Moses. So here's the thing. If you're in that place, don't leave Today, without begging God to show you his presence. In faith, asking, God, will you show me some of Jesus today? Just something. Even if I just get to see the backside of your glory, show me something of your presence. Show me something of your promise. Show me something of your character, your grace, your mercy. I need to see you. You are what we need. 
I want to speak to you like a friend face to face. So show me that intimacy. And if you're here today or watching online and you're like, that's crazy. I have no idea what you're talking about. Let me ask you, has anything that you've ever given your life to satisfied fully this deep longing that you have? Nothing. Nothing will do it. St. Augustine said, our hearts were made for you and they're restless until we find our rest in you. So if you are here or listening online and you've never given your life to Jesus, the reality is you're going to keep hungering and thirsting for something. Right? As C.S. Lewis says, what if I find in me desires that cannot be satisfied by anything of this world? What does it mean? Well, it means you were made for another world. There's a desire in you and you will hunger and thirst for something. You will run from place to place until you find it. But you will not find it until you find Jesus. And he is here saying to you, I want you. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter any of your story, I want you because I know you. And I want to come and make my home in you. So if you're feeling that, cry out to Jesus. Cry out for mercy from him. He longs to answer that prayer. And if that happens for you this morning, please come talk to me or Pastor Andre afterwards. We would love to know that and pray with you and talk with you about what it means to follow Jesus. And if you're online, I'm sure there are ways to connect online with Pastor Andre to know what does it mean to follow Jesus now? How do I do this thing? But if you're here and you're trusting in Jesus, don't be content to go to the land of milk and honey without the king. Don't be content to do this Christian life without knowing and loving the king. Because he is everything. Let's pray together. Father God, you are gracious. You are good. You love us. You loved us before the foundations of the world. Before you made anything, you said, I love you. And you have all power and authority. Power to tell the ocean where to stop and when. And you have poured all of your power and glory into your mercy to us. So Lord, we long for intimacy with you. We need intimacy with you. Lord, in this place, in this town, in this location where we are right now, this city needs believers hungering for intimacy with you to see you and reflect you to this city. The only way any of your kingdom is built in this place or any place is when we spend time intimately with you and then reflect you to the world. So God, help us reflect you by helping us see you. Lord, if there's anything in us, any 
place that we have, any unrepentant sin in us, things that we have been hiding, preventing us from seeing you and having intimacy with you, would you help us to just lay it at your feet now? That we would take this knowing that we have the boldness to confess it because Jesus, you died for it. Not just generally for my sin, but specifically for all of my sin. When you said it is finished, you meant it. So let us come with boldness, confessing our sin and experiencing intimacy with you because you love us. God, would you help us to know the Holy Spirit who lives in us so that we would connect with you moment by moment because you are in us. Jesus, be gracious. And Jesus, be glorified in all that we say and do. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, Pastor Andre, you're going to have to come up. Amen. Let's rise to our feet. Oh, I know this word was specifically for me. I know it's specifically for you. Let's, as we go on sabbatical, even though we're not in the building, let's keep our intimacy and our closeness with our God. Just want to say God bless you. We love you dearly. You are dismissed.